This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Welcome to Name Three Songs. I'm Sarah Fagan. I'm Jenna Million. And this is a podcast where we challenge sexism in the music industry and empower fangirls. Because let's be honest, fangirls knew about that band way before you did. And if you stick around long enough, we'll also let you in on some new music the girls are already crazy about. So guys, it's been a minute. We weren't in your podcast feeds last week. Did you miss us? We missed you. I know. It was weird. (laughs) It was weird. But I think this is a good thing because, number one, we get to do more Instagram lives. And number two, Mm -hmm. we get to spend more time on making fun content for Patreon. Yes. Which is always exciting because, as we said last episode, we are taking Patreon way more seriously. So at the beginning, we were kind of just having goofy fun with it. But then we realized that... It's a really good excuse to do a lot of in this essay, I will type episodes um, (laughs) that have to do with music and pop culture, but don't necessarily have to do with like feminism in the same way that our normal episodes do. So if you want more pop culture music goodness, you can go join us at Patreon. And our last episode was actually quite interesting. And the topic was sparked from our last like normal episode for you guys which we did a whole episode about misogyny and the Oedipus complex because we were just like so shook at how much the psychology behind misogyny is rooted in men's want to have ownership over their mothers and hating them because they can't which is interesting it is interesting honestly I don't think there's anyone who's grown up without some sort of something from their childhood that maybe secretly has messed them up even if they don't know it's messed them up like women alike but it was very interesting breaking it down and honestly I feel like we kind of lost it a little bit it's truly so insane it just sounds so insane but there is some truth to it but I think it's also also like a topic that definitely needs to be revisited in now times just because it feels a bit fucked <laughs> to like blame everything on moms and I said this in the episode but it just felt very archaic so it was a very interesting discussion definitely worth it so you guys if you do want to go check out that and we also do have mini episodes called did you hear which are like 15 to 30 minute episodes when there's stuff going on in music news that relates to things we're interested in we make those episodes and also there's a discord of friendship which is great fun because we get to share lots of stuff that's going on in our lives in the world and all that stuff so you can go Join us over at patreon.com slash name three songs. Um, we do have basically a year of music meltdown episodes, so we won't hate you if you just come join for a month to go listen and chat. <laughs> true. This is true. We are known for reeling people in and them staying for good. So, But also, if you want to come hang out on Instagram, we are going to be doing more Instagram live since we're doing our podcast mm-hmm. bi-weekly. And these have always been a super fun way for us to chat, to hear like more directly from you guys, hear your thoughts about the episode. A lot of times we end up talking about recent pop culture stuff too. It's really just a fun time. So yeah, come join us on Instagram and put on notifications if you want to make sure you never miss one. But also don't put on notifications if you just want to like occasionally pop in. That's totally (laughs) fine too. So with all that being said, 
Sarah, what are we talking about today? Today, we are having hands discourse, which means that we are discussing why the male gaze is so 2005 and why the female gaze is so forever and always because fleeting glances and emotions radiating through hands and clenched jaws are where it's at. Oh my god. No, this is beautiful. Keep going. (laughs) And I'm just really excited to talk through something that really ties back into literally everything we ever talk about because especially like with fan fiction and how girls and women kind of voice their emotions and the way that they view the world because music for so long has been overwhelmed by naked women being lusted after by men who are doing minimal things in music videos and then women kind of taking a stand and turning the narrative around so instead of it being like that it's like naked men and women doing nothing in the music videos and watching them it was very sort of remedial level of you know like feminism or understanding how to like move away from the patriarchy sort of thing and obviously we've come a long way in the past 10 years especially the past like two years of pandemic time where lots of people got to sit and think about their thoughts and how much the patriarchy sucks. But it's a very interesting topic because the idea of female and male gaze are sort of things that exist in order to talk about like film and television mediums of like creative things. And it's kind of in the same vein of like, oh, this character is clearly written by a woman. Oh, this character is clearly written by a man. And like how men are always writing about heaving bosoms in interviews and in fantasy novels. And honey thighs. Um, whereas, <laughs> which is awful. And women talk a lot about clenched jaws and emotions radiating from hands. And it's just like very obvious like that men don't really understand what attracts women to them, whereas women obviously have a bigger understanding of what they're attracted to in men. And it's kind of like what we talked about with Lucy in our like fangirl fanboy discussion about how a lot of men think that, oh, everybody's going to have a crush on Chris Hemsworth. Everybody's going to have a crush on Ryan Reynolds. Everyone's going to like be crushing on, I don't know, Bruce Willis from 1982. You know, like those sorts of situations when it's like in actuality women are crushing on like Corey Haim types or you know Tom Hiddleston types Timothy Chalamet Chalamet types and so it's a very interesting discussion because a lot of it harkens back to media outside of what we normally talk about but it does correlate directly to the world of music because it's something that has to do with everyday life as well which I think is always interesting when like an idea exists for a media trope, and then it actually <laughs> affects day-to-day life. As always does, pretty much, because media <laughs> is just a reflection of real life, and so it's like the forever feedback circle, the which came yeah. first, the chicken or the egg. So just to give like a few kind of textbook definitions here of what we're actually talking about, we have an article in a publication called Very Well Minded by Sarah Van Buskirk in September 2021 titled, What is the Male Gaze? And Sarah writes, the male gaze describes a way of portraying and looking at women that empowers men while sexualizing and diminishing women. While biologically, from early adolescence on, we are driven to look at and evaluate each other as potential mates. And the male gaze twists this natural urge, turning the women into passive items to possess and use as props. Which is basically also the definition of misogyny. (laughs) But as Sarah was saying, as (laughs) Sarah Fagan on this podcast was saying, it was also mirrored by Sarah in this article, who writes that the term the male gaze was first popularized in relation to the depiction 
of female characters in film as inactive, often overly sexualized objects of male desire. However, the influence of male gaze is not limited to how women and girls are featured in movies, but rather extends to this to the experience of being seen in this way, both on screen, by the viewers, and an extension by all of us at home living our daily lives. And so naturally, the influence of the male gaze seeps into the female self-perception and self-esteem. It's as much about the impact of seeing other women relegated to these supporting roles as it is about the way women are conditioned to, to fill them in real life. And so essentially, by this seeping into our real lives, it is... The patriarchy as we know it. I mean, this is like how we have self-esteem issues, how we perceive our bodies, how we think we should dress to attract other people, how we think we should just dress in life in general and like how relationship dynamics go. The fact that, again, it's always just like the patriarchy coming in quick and fast and doing something to kind of diminish the respect level that women are allowed to reach. It's this weird thing because I know like at jobs and companies and lots of things, there's always that terminology of like the glass ceiling that the women need to shatter. And it always felt like it was going to like this next level that men have access to. But I feel like the more we talk about the patriarchy, the more we read about things like the male gaze and stuff it's as if the highest a woman can go in respect from the average man is 50 percent and the glass ceiling only gets you to 100 percent whereas like men respect men up to like a thousand percent which is just like a weird thing to have to cope with day in and day out of just like how little respect men are taught to have for women even though like they all have moms that they love and adore. It's just a very allegedly. weird thing. Yeah, allegedly. <laughs> it's just it's just a very weird thing to deal with and cope with, I think, on top of all of this. And in comparison, the female gaze is a feminist theory term representing the gaze of the female spectator, character, or director of an artistic work. But more than the gender, it is an issue of representing women as subjects having agency. As such, both genders can create films with a female female gaze. But it is a response to feminist film theorist Laura Mulvey's term, the male gaze, which represents not only the gaze of heterosexual male behavior, but also the gaze of the male character and the male creator of the film. And so I think a recent good example of a female gaze movie would be Portrait of a Woman on Fire, which is like a lesbian love story. But the way in which they show female love and affection and the female story of emotions is very I think straight out of the mind of like what most girls and women think about like when they're like having the film of their life in their brain going on of like I mean I don't know if everybody does this but I just like certain moments in life when I look back on them but I think it might be just me as a photographer it's like oh if I had photographed this moment like what would I have photographed what would I have focused on and it's always kind of like oh like the way the wind was blowing someone's hair or like the way that they like placed their hand on like (laughs) the photo you took of me when we were in, in yeah. London on film, that was that. Yeah, literally. Whoa, y'all, whoa. <laughs> Our friendship coming full circle right now. But it's like, it's those sort of things where it's like, you remember like the way people place their hands when they're talking yeah. to you or that sort of things. And, and, I, and I feel... Yeah, you remember, like, these details that show emotion or, like, you get emotional feelings from, and I feel like that's a lot of the difference, which is why I started this episode saying that we were going to be talking about hands today. (laughs) Because the female gaze, especially in film, 
does tend to focus a lot on hand movements. And again, before we get into this, I do need to apologize for the fact that every conversation we're having is so black and white gendered and it's like aggressively annoying. And one of the writers that we are going to like quote from from an article a bit later on actually acknowledges this as well. So we'll get a bit more into the depths of that a bit later on the episode. But there's so much shit that is like so gendered because I guess it's easier for people in writing or in what have you. Because in the grand scheme of things, the female gaze is, like, way less about females and more about, like, erasing the patriarchal view of, like, men on women or just, like, people with feminine bodies. Yes. So just keep that in mind. This is not our fault. (laughs) (laughs) It's the patriarchy's fault, as per usual. But it is just a really frustrating thing when, like, ideas don't actually feel gendered, but because of the way humans are taught about everything, they lean towards one gender or another in order to have like a descriptor, if that makes sense. Yes. And also traditionally thinking about the male gaze is like a very heterosexual thing as well. Yeah. And as you just said, with the example of a portrait of a woman on fire, these things don't need to be heterosexual, like at all. Yeah. But when we talk about the patriarchy and we talk about toxic masculinity and we talk about homophobia, all of those things are so closely intertwined that when we say the word male gaze it means heterosexual male gaze like that's just implied like straight up implied and honestly even saying that out loud is kind of crazy to think about because we've talked about in past episodes and you mentioned this at the beginning too of like there's the male characters that men think women want which is like the chris hemsworth or the chris evans or whatever like the super Mm -hmm. ripped like amazing body whatever blonde haired dude yeah and like sometimes yes but a lot of times that representation is just like I said it's what men think women want in men but really it's what men want in men but they're all too homophobic to admit it so there's that to also think on as we do this episode well it's also like more women were excited about Chris Evans in like an Argyle sweater in Knives Out (laughs) than they ever were about Chris Evans in a Captain America suit case in point Case and point. Oh my god. Like he's clearly just as jacked, but it's like no one cares about how jacked he is. They're like, wow, he wears the shit out of that Argyle sweater. (laughs) This is like, I think this will come into play later, but yeah, yeah. When we talk about boy bands and like specifically K-pop and the amount of times fans talk about the styling and the costuming and stuff like that, it's literally stuff like, oh my God, he was wearing a fluffy sweater and he looked so cute. Like that's the conversation. Yeah, because it feels safe. And like, I feel like that's a lot of what we're going to be focusing on is it's like masculinity in and of itself. And we talked about this in our Patreon episode, like masculinity basically just means toxicity. Like they've wound up being the same word in a lot of ways like toxic masculinity or it's two words meaning the same thing like in that you know the author of the article explained it way better than I just did but (laughs) it's it's that sort of sense where being overtly masculine like being very macho like yes some women do like that but a lot of women shy away from that and it freaks them out a lot and a common theme you're going to see throughout this is that most of the men we are going to be talking about today that it's like very feminine things that women are attracted to in them again very black and white like it's not actually a feminine thing I don't even know how to explain it it's kind of as if feminine is a spectrum and masculine is just like a thing 
Like, that's the only way to, like, explain it in regards to, like, this discussion today. Whereas it's, like, being feminine is, like, an array of colors, an array of a spectrum, can mean anything from, like, being a man to being a woman to being non-binary. Whereas masculine is, like, a very straightforward idea of a thing, right? Wow. I mean, yes. Yeah. You can definitely see it that way. Because I think in the, in the sense that we're talking about toxic masculinity, yeah. it very much is. Like, it very much is yeah. A- and then femininity is yeah. B through Z, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, in contrast, toxic to because I will say like I mean there are good masculine traits, and when we get into the hands thing, like there's definitely yeah. like you can't yeah. deny like there's a masculine aspect to it. But yeah, yeah. When it, when it comes to toxic masculinity specifically, that makes sense. Well, I think it's like the way that women view masculinity would not be how men would view it. Yeah. And that's where you get the stereotypical female gaze of viewing men and like what women find attractive with men, which is like hands or a rolled up button up shirt. So like you can see their (laughs) forearms and like these certain things that women are like, oh, fuck, it's getting hot in here. And men are like, what the fuck are you talking about? He's clothed. And we're like, that's the point. We're like, we want soccer player buff. We do not want Chris Hemsworth buff. Like, that's too much. Obviously, I'm generalizing. Not all women think the same, but Um, (laughs) the women in this room right now think the same. (laughs) Sarah, would you like to take us into our foray into hands? Yes, this is my favorite thing ever. I love that recently I've gotten excuses to like go down rabbit holes that literally have nothing to do with music, but also have everything to do with music because (laughs) hands... Hands are at the heart of music, baby. (laughs) Oh my, boy, are they. Are they. Oh my goodness. So we do have an article today, which was a great read, a great time, called The Power of Mr. Darcy's Hand Flex in Pride and Prejudice, Revisited 15 Years Later, which is written by Kim Renfo for Insider in 2020. And I feel like as I kept mentioning hands, I'm sure a lot of you kept thinking about the TikTok fan cam of... Mr. Darcy's hand from this version of Pride and Prejudice. The 2005 Pride and Prejudice is the two-hour film version starring Keira Knightley and Matthew McFadden, who's most known right now for being on Succession. But Keira Knightley plays Elizabeth Bennet and Matthew McFadden plays Mr. Darcy. So basically, I can't even deal with this. So I'm going to let Kim Renfo speak for us right now because this is too much for me to think about and talk at the same time. So she's kind of setting the scene for us by writing a raised eyebrow from Elizabeth Bennett to her sister while mid-dance with a nagging suitor. The reticent stare of Mr. Darcy watching from a shadowy corner as a lively dance unfolds before him. Jane's inability to make direct eye contact with Mr. Bingley, lest she fall apart completely. And perhaps above all other moments of intimacy revealed to us in the film, the flexing hand of Mr. Darcy as he briskly walks away from Elizabeth Bennet, having just touched her for the very first time. (laughs) Guys, it's getting steamy in here. And so Kim Renfro interviews the film editor of Pride and Prejudice, Paul Tothill, to find out about this process and if he knew that that scene was going to really like take over the minds of women everywhere. And so Paul tells Kim, over the last 15 years, I had forgotten how much that ruled the edit of the movie. It's all of those subtleties, which is what I keep talking about throughout this whole episode (laughs) 
very eloquently of the wind in your hair and your hands touching in a certain way. And so Kim goes on to write, the moment when Mr. Darcy touches Elizabeth's hand comes about 25 minutes into the movie after the pair have exchanged barbs and glances multiple times in a number of social settings. As Elizabeth goes to step into her family's carriage, Mr. Darcy surprises Elizabeth by taking her hand to assist her. The camera zooms in close on both of their bare hands as they touch for the first time. Before Elizabeth can fully register the the gesture, Mr. Darcy has already turned to leave without a word. Once again, the shot pushes in, and Mr. Darcy's hand takes up most of the frame. His fingers flex, almost as if in anguish. You can feel the tension resonating through the screen. It's electrifying, and dare we say it, rather sexy. I feel like we're literally reading fanfic right now. And so then there is a quote here from Keira Knightley where she says, they don't really touch, referring to men and women of the 18th century. Women don't shake hands with men. So the first time Darcy touches Elizabeth is when he helps her into the carriage, which is a really beautiful moment because it's the first skin on skin touch. And I think today we don't think twice about that at all, which, woof, woof. This is like, <laughs> yeah. I'm obsessed with this. The main reason why I'm, like, so obsessed with this specific comment of, like, people not really thinking twice about how, like, intimate hand touching is, is because when I was in, like, high school, like, ninth or 10th grade, so 15 or 16, I read the book Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, and in that book... They talked about how I Want to Hold Your Hand by the Beatles is actually the best love song in all of the world because holding hands is like a way to signify to everybody around you that you have a relationship, an intimate relationship at that with the person you are holding hands with. And it's like a very widely accepted and pe- nobody really frowns on people holding hands in public. And it's a but it's a very intimate sign of like relation to another person And I feel like people don't really think about it because it's become so commonplace. But I completely agree with that. Like, that really stuck out to me. And I feel like, at least for me personally, like, I've always been really weird about holding hands with people because I'm like, no, other people are going to know what's going on with us once that happens. Like... Everyone's gonna know. But I also just think that it's, like, something very beautiful. Like, anytime, like, you're in a new relationship and, like, you go to hold someone's hand, it's, like, a very electrifying moment. And I think that that also goes to back to what I was saying earlier about how like you hold so much emotion and feeling in your hands and it's like babies are like sticking their hands in their mouths all the time because it's like feeling and it's like you have so much feeling in your hands that I feel like people don't really acknowledge but there's so much to it of just touch is one of your senses and you mostly use your hands for touch and so it's like when you are getting to know somebody in an intimate way it's like you're touching their body you're discovering each other with your hands and that oh and so hands are like this very like sensual emotional connection to things and again that ties to music because music is like you play the piano the, you play the guitar like you do all these things like with your hands and this beautiful like emotive art is coming from your hands Sarah, like, obviously from your brain but like your hands are creating it write the essay right now <laughs> write the book <laughs> No, for real. Like the way you just put it is absolutely gorgeous. Thanks. Thinking of thinking about it in that way. Like I'm I'm not even kidding. Like thinking about it in that way, it's like something we take for granted so much. Like we never think about our hands. But like 
The way you the way you just put it, I'm like shook right now. But also thinking about it reminded me of, you know, your first crush, like when you're a kid yeah. or a teenager, whatever. And it's like well, especially I was thinking of like a teenage love of like, mm. you know, it's like it's what you said. It's like the stealing the glances, the little things you notice about them because you're too shy to talk to them. And then it's like the build up to like the first time it's like literally the build up to like the first time you like touch or the first time you hold hands. It's like a really yeah. big deal. And I feel like that says a lot right there about like women's I don't want to say obsession but kind of romanticization of the hand mm-hmm. <laughs> or appreciation literally. let me say it this way appreciation yeah no but literally I mean so there is another quote in this article from a writer called McKenna Morris and she says the film does not just rely on dialogue to tell the story all of Darcy's internal struggle, his repressed desire for Elizabeth during her stay at Netherfield is made clear with a single shot of his flexing hand. And this is what I'm saying is it's like I said this in past episodes, but it's like a lot of men are taught from a young age. They're not allowed to have access to the full level of their emotions. It's like, no, sorry, that's not for you. No emotions for you. No crying in baseball, like that whole thing. And so when you have these parts of your body that don't necessarily listen to that holding back that you have it's like you're going to see these things where it's like if you really paid attention and again I think it's just like the photographer mindset of things it's like when you do photo shoots of people or when you're hanging out with people you're like oh I think this person's flirting with me or whatever the case is you can kind of tell like when you're moving them or touching them, you can see their hands having that anguish in a way, like a sexual tension is like held in your hands in a certain, in like a certain regard. (gasps) And it's such a weird thing to think about, but it really is interesting. And it's funny because like my whole life, I've always been like, Oh, like hands really tell a story. And like at most photo shoots I've ever done, there's always like weird shots of hands because I'm like, Oh, lots has happened in there, but it's so much easier to show that in moving picture than it is in like a still frame image in a photo. But it's just really interesting, like how much this one scene and like if you're on TikTok, you've seen this a thousand times. People talk about it all the time has just like lived on because it truly is like a 15 second, not even moment that like encapsulates like how women view masculinity because it's like the strong, emotional man hand, like just being (laughs) (laughs) dealing with like the anguish of like not knowing how to deal with his emotions because like, oh, God, what do you do? It's the 18th century. Yeah. And so what you're saying is also mirrored in what Kim wrote in the article because she says, when it came to the moment when Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth touched for the first time, the director of the movie said in their commentary that the close up of their hands together, just as Elizabeth stepping into the carriage, carries all the emotion. Just think about that for a minute. What a beautiful scene. (laughs) I'm going to go watch this tonight. It's like, it's just how powerful they really are. It's so interesting how much I feel like men don't think about how things other than like muscle or machismo could be something that would attract women to you. And it's like strong hands are way sexier than strong arms. Look, we don't, we don't need to let them know that this is a thing. We don't, they don't need to know because then they're just, they're just going to abuse it. 
The other thing in this article that I did just, and then we'll we'll move on, let's continue with the hand conversation, but move on from Mr. Darcy, is that the editor, Paul Tothill, did say to Kim that that little flexing of the hand is almost like there's an electricity still running through it from the touch. He's maybe shaking it off, but he wasn't expecting it. Let's put it that way. And I feel like, again, that just harkens back to what I'm saying and kind of proves my point of like not being able to control fully your emotions because like they have to go somewhere and so for a lot of people it's like hands rather than like reactionary on your face or like making a statement because it's like if this was like a cheesy 90s rom-com if he felt that electricity after a hand touch he'd like chase her through the airport and be like come back for me (laughs) but it's not it's an 18th century love story and you get sexual tension in a hand oh my god A lot of girls realizing what they're attracted to. It's beautiful. Wow. Wow. Of course, with all this talk about hands, we couldn't not bring it back to none other than Mr. Harry Styles himself. And when Sarah pulled this article, why fans are obsessed with Harry Styles' hands, immediately I I can picture his hands. And I was like, wow, you know what? You're not wrong. Like, they're like, his hands are freaking beautiful. And then this article in The Things by Carolyn Monclau. Carolyn goes on to write, someone's hands can say a lot about them, what they're into, how they take care of themselves, where they've been. But when it comes to Harry Styles, fans are obsessed with them for a number of reasons. First and foremost, the man is about as hot as they come and diehard fans will find just about anything to fixate on when it comes to the former One Direction frontman. Additionally, Harry Styles fans find his hands very artistic. One of the reasons is that Harry always matches his nail polish with his clothes in a very stylish way. He's very thoughtful about it. And she goes on to pull this YouTube video titled A Tribute to Harry's Hands in which fans point out how attractive it is the way he holds his microphone during concerts. Also how charming he looks while playing the piano and the guitar. In both cases, the camera focuses on the hands and the fans couldn't be happier about it and this goes back to what sarah was just saying we like totally take for granted the fact of like hands being one of the primary extensions of our bodies to be an instrument in making Mm -hmm. music and i can perfectly picture harry's hands around a guitar right now (laughs) that's all i gotta say well when i was thinking about this thought obviously a lot of it had to do with Harry because in a lot of his photo shoots like he'll have his hands in front of his face most images of him like his hands play a much bigger role than I think hands usually do in photos again as a photographer a lot of people are like what do I do with my hands what do I do with my arms Harry clearly always knows what to do with his hands and his arms. It's again like when men are more aware of their femininity again like I was saying with like the feminine spectrum of things just in regards to this idea more connected with their emotions etc. I feel like they have a lot of an easier time especially in photo shoots of like how to utilize your hands because they're aware of like all eyes are going to be straight to the hands after like the face sort of thing. It's going to be like face hands. (laughs) Like what's going on there? (laughs) Um, You know what else I just thought about as you're talking about this is like going back to the 18th century thing and like women wearing gloves and like Mm. gloves covering up the hands, especially in like balls and things like that. And then like when things get more intimate, they like take them off and reveal the hands. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, definitely, that's another point. Like, even in some of those movies, like, that take place, like, with horseback riding or in those times, like, they'll be 
if it's a female director or like women working on it, like there will be like close up shots of the man like slowly taking the gloves off. So, I mean, it again is it's like this thing that is inherently sensual without like hands are just like they aren't available at all times of day. And then if you're listening, send hand pics. Because <laughs> I think also with hands, it's more so like women have become acutely aware of how powerful hands are and like how men's emotions are kind of held there yeah and i think a lot of that also stems to women's understanding of music again this all just feels icky like (laughs) making everything so gendered i hate it so much but it is that thing where like we talked about with lucy about how like male fans don't seem to have the same like emotional attachment to artists Mm -hmm. and those things as women do and i think again it's like when you're watching your favorite artists like play the guitar and do these things there's something incredibly like emotional but also sensual about it but i think again it's like that thought in the back of your brain of just like hands correlate to touch and correlate to like sensuality of being intimate with a person and all that sort of thing and again it just ties back to like the parasocialness of it all of just like oh i wish he'd touch me the way he touches his guitar sort of situation you know because a lot of people are like oh like you see how he plays the piano must be good with his hands because like hands do have a lot to do with like intimate moments Mm -hmm. as well as just like a day-to-day moments and all that sort of stuff and the emotion of it all and so i think with harry and the way that he encapsulates like the female gaze in all of the ways that he does his masculine yet emotional hands are like something that's very exciting to a lot of people it definitely like awakens things in people's brains i think yep yeah you're not wrong we're not wrong this episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com it's easy to find your new vibe dive into the western trend with gold cowboy boots from stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from prada you can shop for everything on your agenda whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. But in addition to hands, not just hands, guys, I mean, we can't do this without talking about music videos because obviously that is a huge visual format of how we consume music. And that's kind of Mm -hmm. a lot of how the male and female gaze is usually represented because we usually talk about it in the sense of, like you said, something visual, something like cinematic. And so we have an article here in the Financial Times by Harriet Fitch Little in 2018 called Why the Female Gaze is Looking the Wrong Way. And it starts out by saying to understand what is meant by the male gaze in just five minutes, watch a music video made to accompany Drake's 2013 single, Started from the Bottom. Its gaze is so acute that it could have been produced just to demonstrate the points made by theorist Laura Mar 
Malvi and her 1975 essay, which introduced the term male gaze. And so they go on to talk about how this music video is filled with close-up shots of women looking less like human beings and more just like an assortment of body parts that you might find on a murderer's suitcase, including boobs and bums filled in isolation. And the author writes, the viewer has no choice but to look through the prism of Drake's straight male horniness. Which is literally what the male gaze is. It's like us looking at like them sexualizing women from like, as I said, from a heterosexual point of view and a horny point of view. And so then the author goes on to write, to understand what is meant by female gaze, on the other hand, you'd probably have to watch so many music videos, you exceed your broadband limit, because while the female gaze is in fashion, it's a conceptual free-for-all. Of, as Sarah mentioned earlier, it's basically a spectrum of things. There's no mm-hmm. one thing that's necessarily the female gaze. It's literally just anti-women sexualization in that way. You know what I mean? And one of the prime examples they use is Charlie XCX's obvious anthem, Boys. But the music video for this was just like a bunch of different male celebrities doing different things like playing with puppies and like having a wet t-shirt contest and taking off their shirt and laying in like a bed of roses and all of these things. And it's interesting because it's kind of just the reverse of the male gaze, which isn't necessarily the female gaze and charlie xcx even said herself the point of the video was just to like flip it on its head and be like hey essentially trying to make a point of like you guys always sexualize us like this i'm gonna sexualize men like this but like that still isn't really what the female gaze is yeah and i think that this is something that's interesting and a point that i mentioned with jenna earlier is like the idea of the female gaze is kind of the direct opposite of our episode about like just like self-objectification versus like sexualization of women because no matter how much women feel in their own power like dressing sexy or doing these things and being like oh it's not for men it still correlates to the patriarchy because you know it's like and and so it's more so like in music regard the female gaze is more so going to exist within somebody's personality and persona of like how they act when they're a female artist because it's a lot harder when you are like a straight woman to like fully encapsulate like the spectrum of the female gaze in music videos rather than sort of doing things in the vein of like Charlie XCX where it's like making the men be overtly sexual or doing like more filmy sort of stuff like if you think of like Halsey's music videos like they're more in like the soft lighting like very female dream world sort of vibes comparatively speaking but I think it's still very different to the way it's used like within photography or in film in that regard if that makes sense but I do think that's funny that Drake has been a reoccurring villain in the past few episodes because he's not really somebody I think about that much yeah but he definitely has a habit of be making people like acutely aware of how much he views women as objects. And I feel like, again, that's a lot different to like how women most of the time, especially more recently, like act in their videos when they are being sexy. It's like they're not acting like objects. They're not acting like they want to be objectified, whereas like women in videos like started from the bottom or Robin Thicke's blurred lines like the woman in those videos are clearly acting as if they are like there to just be objectified by men rather than like exist and exude womanhood. Yeah, no, definitely. My question is, and I don't know if there's like a proper answer to this, but how is like the female gaze applied to the way we dress? Because like when we think of 
pop stars, for example, the stereotypical pop star uniform is a bodysuit. Very much showing off your body. Essentially, essentially that. Essentially just showing off your body. And when we think of like the male gaze, the patriarchy, whatever, that's like the form-fitting clothes is something that appeals to them. And so this is why the sexualization versus empowerment conversation gets murky because it's like if a man is like talking about Megan Thee Stallion or like whatever pop star being like they over-sexualize themselves. Like they're on stage dancing with no clothes on, blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, you're viewing that from the male gaze as if they're doing this for your pleasure. So, mm-hmm. like, you need to step back from that and realize that they're doing this because they want to be doing this. But also at the same time, is this just the norm? Like, I mean, it is the norm. It is the norm, right? But I'm like, where yeah. does the female gaze play into the norm and how we like present ourselves? I think it's like that whole thing of like when women say that they're dressing in hopes of a 13 year old complimenting them. It's like that sort of mindset where it's like you're dressing so that like younger you would think you were cool rather than dressing so that men will find you attractive. So I think it's a lot more about like the mindset behind the outfit than it is the outfit in and of itself because unfortunately the patriarchy has put its stamps on tits and ass and been like, if you wear anything that makes those look good, that's for men. And you're just like, it's literally not, I want a girl to tell me my butt looks good in my jeans in a non-sexual way. Thanks. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I just feel like when a girl's like, oh wow, your tits look so good in that top. Like... I'd be like, thank you. And if a man said that, I'd be like, let me throw my drink in your face. <laughs> like, I just well, feel like I girls think- acknowledging that, like, your boobs aren't, <laughs> like, look good is, like, a compliment. Yeah. Whereas, like, a man is, like, Look good know? without it being a sexual thing. Yeah. No, I totally understand that. And I feel like as non-celebrities, we have a lot more of that autonomy. But I think of, like, I'm thinking of specifically, like, pop stars on stage performing. I feel like they don't have that autonomy. I feel like there's the default and they always do the default. Yeah. Well, I think also, I feel like maybe it was Little Mix who talked about this. We've looked in so many pop stars, I can't keep it straight. But just how, like... (laughs) those outfits exist in order for them to have like the movement that they need in order to do the like song and dance numbers that they have so they're not up there being like gross I just don't I don't 100% agree with that though because the amount of like k-pop and well just the amount of k-pop that I watch it's like people dance in all kinds of things and men don't like men do all kinds of routines in literal suits which like you don't think of a suit as being you know something flexible you can dance in so Well, they're probably wearing Lululemon suits because those do exist. (laughs) Hashtag not sponsored. But I guess it's like kind of that mindset of, oh, well, it's what pop stars have always done. So like it must be for that. And I'm sure that like that's a thing that they're fed of like, oh, it's like easier for you to move in, easier for you to dance in, blah, blah, blah. I don't know, really, because like when I think about the like the bodysuits that like Taylor Swift wears, those aren't very sexy in a lot of like in the same way, like they kind of exist like for her to be comfortable. But I really don't know, because again, like I was saying, I think for a lot of female pop stars, there's such a long staircase for them to climb up until they get to actual having anonymity from the pop star box that exists, no matter what they're doing with their career. There still are people that are pushing, wearing these outfits, doing these things that For female pop stars, it's so much more about their personality and the way they live their life that can exist within this idea rather than like the way that they're portrayed when they're performing live. Because I think like if you watch music videos by them, 
Yeah. Depending who. Yeah. Because, like, Halsey definitely, like, in her shows kind of wears a more, like, pop star uniform, but, like, in her music videos, very female gaze. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I would be interested to know from, like, a professional pop star stylist, if we ever find one of those, like, if yeah. there actually, like, is a reason, because there, there legitimately might be. But I posted a question on our Instagram story saying, like, if anyone wanted to recommend, like, music videos that, like, encapsulate the, the female gaze. And my friend Tiffany commented, okay, hear me out. I bet you think about me music video is deaf directed by a woman because of the details. And I went and watched it. So it's, like, the Taylor's version, uh, like, more recent one. And mm-hmm. there are definitely those moments and I think also like throughout like Taylor Swift storytelling even the all too well one I mean because that one was definitely supposed to be like from Taylor's perspective of there are those like female gaze moments that focus more on like the tension and the emotion behind things and and so there definitely is that like narrative and rhetoric beyond just them performing live on stage because that's the thing is that I feel like in some regards it's harder to apply like female male gaze two performances but also not Mm -hmm. because it's like if you think about like backup dancers for example if they're all like super sexualized or whatever like on stage I mean that's something they do have control over and so this is something that's interesting because there was this other article that we found on days by Amy Cliff written in 2019 called how the music videos of the 2010s saw women take back power and she sort of starts this article talking about how in 2014 Jennifer Lopez had the music video for her song I Love You Poppy come out it was a music video of a music video creation process so it's like her and her friends saying no to a bunch of ideas in order for it to like do the same thing Charlie XCX was saying she was doing with the boys video which was like turning the like male gaze on its head by like having men all oiled up and like twerking and shaking their ass and doing all that stuff and just like objectifying men in that way which like the Charlie XCX video has more of the female gaze idea with like the rose petals and the puppies and that sort of thing whereas this is very like male gaze in reverse like it's like what it's like what men think women want is what this j-lo video is which i think is funny because 2014 feels like it would be more with the times but i guess not Uh, also it's just funny continuing to disappoint us (laughs) j-lo's trying so hard to get recognition from us and i don't know if it will ever i also watched the video and it was so forgettable like the whole song was so forgettable and i was like oh j-lo just acting acting But the thing is, is that like what this article is pointing out is that starting in like the early 2000s, a lot of women who later on in their videos sort of went in the more like I'm sexualizing myself, I'm aware of my womanhood, I'm like leaning into me being sexy, I'm doing these things kind of very going towards the feminist direction. Their earlier videos were very male gazy, and it's because that's what ruled the narrative. And like while it's still trying to rule the narrative, it's definitely getting pushed to the side by women sort of realizing that you can be sexy without objectifying yourself in the way that men want you to be objectified. Yeah. Which I think is like a very interesting hot topic that we have discussed in multiple ways. Yeah. I think it's hard because it, so, okay. So speaking from a straight perspective here, it's easy for women to talk about the female gaze on men. And I think it's harder for women to talk about the female gaze on women. Like when it comes to themselves, 
of like expressing themselves in a way that's like their sexuality leans into the female gaze because we're just so used to the automatic compulsory thing being sexualizing yourself in a way that men will find attractive yeah no for sure it's definitely I think a complicated thing as well because you'll see like a lot of conversations of like more feminine spectrum women who are bisexual or gay being like I go out dressed like this and men think I want their attention when like I want women's attention and it's like what am I supposed to do and so it's that thing where it's like men have literally ruined femininity for a lot of women because it's like showing cleavage showing these things is automatically connected to the thought of like trying to win yourself a male partner when that's not actually the case and it's something that I think is hard, but I think that there are certain pieces of art and certain things that it'd be very easy to watch and sort of understand the female gaze for feminine attention yeah. sort of situation. I mean, like, not talking about, like, the male hand sort of thing, but, like, if you watch, like, any Hailey Kiyoko music video or something like that, like, it's it's very very like heavy female gaze but very like sensual and not over the top in making it like super sexy because it's two girls it's showing like a a real life like sensual idea of like two girls falling in love and I feel like it's a very beautiful way of doing that but again it's it's complicated when it comes to like real life it's so easy to show these things in media with like lighting and framing and all that sort of stuff whereas like when you go out in your real life you can't constantly have you know like soft pink lighting or around you to signify that you are open for business for women to hit on you if only if only we could though but speaking of Haley Kiyoko she did come to mind I mean I'm not super familiar with like a ton of her music videos or anything but she did come to mind when I was like doing research for this and then also on our Instagram story Instagram user Summerlish commented Haley Kiyoko's chance music video which I looked it up and it was exactly as you were saying yeah if I could go my whole life in like soft lighting <laughs> like clarity clarity negative 50 that would be great well i mean you know what like (laughs) clarity negative 50 on the um the afterlight app turn that glow effect up yeah well i think part of it too is like being the photographer having the view of romanticizing more things in your life and honestly i think tiktok slash instagram reels does a pretty good job of this of like the video compilations or like just the photo compilations with music i think that's an incredible way to romanticize your life and we all should do more of that because it makes you pay attention to the small details which is basically what the female gaze is paying attention to the small details and appreciating them yeah and so also in this article um, for days, Amy does write about blurred lines because you have to. And so she writes the final death rattle of the quote, horny man watches woman dance pop visual template can perhaps be traced to the blurred lines clusterfuck of 2013. Robin Thicke's tepid, pervy R&B visual was hardly the first time that barely clothed women had danced next to fully clothed men in a music video, but it was the first time that the whole world got properly angry about it. Yeah. And so there was this Guardian feature about the backlash against Thick for this video, and Leah Latchford, who's the founder of Rewind and Reframe, a platform for young women to challenge racism and sexism in videos, said, quote, young women are tired of messages that depict women as highly sexualized passive sex objects. They want to see a change. And I feel like the focus on the idea of passive sex objects is really important and like how 
you can also tell the difference between like a Megan the Stallion video to a Robin Thicke or Drake video because while she's dancing sexy and twerking and doing her whole thing, it feels empowering in a way that a Drake video and the girls dancing up on Drake, no matter like how much forward momentum he's made in like some of his videos, it still feels like he's sexualizing women in like kind of a Nicky way. Yeah. Whereas these women right now who are sexualizing themselves in videos, while it's not the like foggy, beautifully well lit, like sensual sort of video, like they can still have high gloss sexy videos that feel empowering rather mm-hmm. than icky yeah no i definitely give megan credit for that of, like her videos all do feel very p- empowering and especially that one <laughs> i think it's a thought shit video where they're like going after this old white man um, y'all if y'all haven't seen it, yeah. just look it up but if you know you know <laughs> that's all i gotta say <laughs> Amy did also make another really good point in this article, kind of like how I mentioned earlier about like the evolution of female pop stars going from making things that are kind of male gaze or like very male gaze to more female gaze in whatever way sort of suits them and their vibe, you know? But she does make the point that Lady Gaga, other than like in her Just Dance video, has never really correlated herself with the male gaze. And I think that that's why a lot of women and gay men like really enjoy her music and her art is it's because it's never really catered to the straight male gaze of it all. But the thing that I found really interesting in Amy's article when she's discussing Lady Gaga is she writes in regards to her music videos, she goes, sometimes mask, sometimes femme, sometimes incorporating her bisexuality. Her videos blazed a new trail for chart topping women. Though sexual, they were unconcerned with anything as basic as sexiness. And I feel like, again, that's kind of what this all boils back down to, is it's like sexiness doesn't have to be the base of being sexy, if that makes sense. Like, I know that that sounds like an oxymoron, but it's definitely not. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, like, even the hand example, it's, like, hands aren't inherently sexy, but, like, when you think about it, like, they are very sexual and, like, sensual. I mean, sexual and sensual. Like, sensual is a perfect another example to attraction or even just, like, you know, when I think of the female gaze, it's always, like, as you said, like, this soft light, this, like, you know, just, like, gentle, like, softness and gentle, like, how I would describe it. But it's also, like, strong in its own sense. Like, it's just, like, this very weird thing where it's like, it's so hard to pinpoint, but when you see it, you know it. Yeah. And I think like, that again, like coming back to TV, movie, like the media world, like there was a lot of discourse around the Loki TV show on Disney Plus about how Tom Hiddleston's Loki is very much in the female gaze. And I mean, the director of that show was a woman because it's that thing where it's like he's strong and kind of cheeky, but also soft in his own way, even though he is like this trickster god and like being very, you know, banter, etc. But he's filmed very much from that point where like you he holds his emotion like in his arms and his hands, like his eyes tell a story. And I feel like you can tell in these films, like even in like promising young woman, which we've talked about before, like they trick you with Bo Burnham's character by kind of making him seem soft and not yeah. scary and very like 
protective in a safe kind of way rather than in like the macho I'm gonna beat someone's ass kind of way and then it turns out to like not actually have been like that but I think that that's kind of how in a lot of shows they kind of trick you with that unexpected villain sort of plot line of things when they give you this like soft strong man and then he wound up that like he was the villain the whole time which I think happens a lot in books which you see people also discussing like on TikTok about like, oh, this person's clearly written by a woman. Oh, this person's clearly written by a man. And like the discussion of like how there's always in like high fantasy kind of young adult books or like new adult books of like the brooding villain who you just want to like nurture because he <laughs> is is brooding in like that sexy way. And yeah. that's how they get you and they stick you on that villain sort of pipeline. I think that makes a ton of sense because like when we think about this in the context of like boy bands being made for women and also fanfic, like for, like for example, okay. So like boy band, the idea that boy bands are made for women. And honestly, I think K-pop gets a ton of this right. And I feel like One Direction, like it was more the fandom getting it right than like the, the marketing people. But I think the marketing people in K-pop are very smart and like know what to deliver. Yeah. But there's always the, like, fandom lore around the band of, like, very, very, very female gays. Of, like, talking about their outfits, talking about the hands, as we've said, talking about the relationships with each other. Like, all of these things are very female gays. And, like, we've broken this down in other past episodes before. And I think it's interesting that, like, a lot of that then turns into the fan fiction because it's, like, this is what we're missing because we're not really getting it in mainstream media and that's why like a lot of both women and people in the lgbtq community go to writing fan fiction is because you want to create your own storylines because they're not no one's doing it no one else is doing it for us yeah and it becomes this like way to like interact and understand like what the female gaze is because like as we were doing all this reading my brain just kept going back to like i said earlier it sounds like we're reading a fan fiction even like the whole twilight of it all which was very much like a female fantasy (laughs) which became a craze I just think it's very interesting that like women can interact with media in this way and it's all from the female gaze and it's as we always talk about it's always diminished but I've never just I've never really thought about it in the context of this being a female gaze thing yeah well I mean like that's what's so interesting about boy bands like you were saying it's it's like they're like created by old men and yet they tick so many boxes for the female gaze but I mean like you were saying and like how you've described to me when it comes to k-pop I feel like k-pop and the members of k-pop groups like the male k-pop groups are so aware of like fan service and doing things that appease the fans and making them feel part of it is that whole thing so I feel like in some regard they've acknowledged the female gaze and are leaning into it whereas like One Direction and Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and groups like that like the female gaze was there because the girls were just focusing on those things whereas with K-pop they realize what the fans like them doing and so then they keep doing that because they're like well they're eating this up and it's like okay but you're essentially making softcore porn constantly (laughs) 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 oh The funny thing is, is like, cause I was thinking about this earlier and like, 
With K-pop, there's not a lot of... Actually, there's almost no hardcore masculine vibes to it, at least not initially, because especially, like, when boy groups debut, like, they're, like, teenagers in, like, early 20s. So just because of their age, they usually lean into, like, the the cutesy, like, schoolboy or, like, boyfriend narrative. Like, there's literally, like, a boyfriend concept of, like, point of view, you're on a date with whoever. Like, that's literally a thing. And they, like, take videos like that. And I'm like, this is embarrassing for me to watch. And then usually, like, some... like it's more so the older idols who when they grow up and they like get super into working out whatever they become super buff then they kind of like can do their own like masculine thing but it never Mm -hmm. feels like an (laughs) attack never feels like an attack (laughs) for a lack of better word I don't know it's interesting I mean even with BTS like they're so it's so gender neutral like really like they do both feminine and masculine things and they're not afraid to do either and I don't know it's 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 always felt like a safe space and not you know versus like the very like the turnoff of the male gaze yeah but I think again it's like the way that they're masculine is in like a soft light kind of way whereas like the idea of masculine that most people think of is like the hard light yeah. toxic masculinity capability of it all and you brought up like how it's kind of like an ungendered idea and I think that that sort of brings us to like the TikTok of it all because obviously as we said like female gaze is an idea that has existed as a way to discuss film as well as male gaze but the TikTok teens, as I so lovingly call them, obviously it's not all teens, it's just easier to put it that way, have really like leaned into the written by a woman female gaze of it all. And so there was this really interesting article on the Utah Daily Chronicle by Avery Gregg in April 2021 called TikTok Trend of the Female Gaze Highlights Gender Freedom and Expression. And this article like really took me for a wild ride because they hit on a lot of really important points of the fact of like nobody really fully understands what the female gaze is. And I think I put it pretty well earlier of like how it very much so is a spectrum because a lot of people are very aware that like gender stupid (laughs) but basically what av writes is that on tiktok a trend has been going around where creators compare old self photographs with their current physical expression and style for the large part tiktokers share initial pictures in line with the ideals of the male gaze and then frame current styles as those that break from the gaze's grasp thus the trend has birthed an ideology the female gaze And they go on to write, while not a new concept, the female gaze has been reinvented by TikTok into its own aesthetic that seeks to push beyond the boundaries of the binary. TikTok's female gaze does so by calling in a multitude of concepts, including gender aesthetics, patriarchal norms, compulsory heterosexuality, identity, and intention. With that glued in mind, what does TikTok's female gaze actually entail? I think the interesting thing that this article is pointing out is that it's not that the female gaze is inherently related to women it's just that it's inherently anti-male gaze and so and and like we talked about this and the male gaze being very closely associated with toxic masculinity and the hypersexualization of women and so it's like that is such a we said this at the beginning that is such a 
letter A. That is, this is what this is. And then here's this whole other spectrums of things that it could be, but it's everything that's just not that. And so I think it's really cool that like TikTok is bringing together so many different people, so many different backgrounds in order for this idea to essentially evolve and expand and grow Mm -hmm. and the writer also talked to two different tiktok creators one who said i only ever found my personal style when i stopped dressing for male validation and the male gaze because it was boring and then the other creator said things that talked about the male gaze and wearing things that would show off my body but were never really cool and i think that's so interesting that the male gaze is actually not fashion the male gaze is just body that's all they care about it's just (laughs) seeing your body seeing the silhouette of your body and like does not care about anything else I think that's hilarious well I I think that that says a lot for like the ways in which women are like so artfully showing off their boobs recently (laughs) like I know which sounds like so unhinged and ridiculous but if you really think about it like the way in which, like, women are able to, like, show cleavage or show their body is, like, so different to, like, the deep V that, like, used to take over the the airwaves, so to speak, you know? Like, yeah. it, there's so much more to it. It's so much more sensual than sexual in a lot of ways that, like, fashion is utilizing, like, the female form rather than being overtly sexual. It's kind of part of the outfit. Like, you're tits are an accessory now rather than the star of the show which I think is is quite cool because it, it kind of is something where I think a lot speaking as like a more large-chested woman like there were so many things that I always felt like I couldn't wear or were inappropriate because I was like oh my boobs are taking up too much space but now a lot of things that I wear where there is cleavage it's like in a it, it feels less sexual and more so like it's part of the look if that makes sense. Honestly, I love that so much. Like, I personally haven't thought of it this way, but I agree. (laughs) I concur. (laughs) (laughs) And so going on in this article, though, Avery goes on to write that the simplistic and performatively feminine debonair of TikTok's male gaze is on the opposite side of the globe from TikTok's female gaze. Users are camp with clashing patterns and bold colors, androgyny is emphasized, and many users opt for shorter haircuts, such as with the recent revival of the mullet. Graphic eyeliner and swipes of glitter across the eyelids replace the neutrality of male gaze makeup. The most defining features of TikTok's female gaze is the abandonment of constrictions and the push beyond expectation. And I feel like that's just so interesting because, again, it's like somebody else acknowledging how much of a spectrum the female gaze is and how much a gender terminology is not entirely gendered at all. Yeah. And I mean, on that point, Avery also goes on to write, the trend of female gaze is one that exists beyond the confinements of heterosexual male preference and beyond the expectations of binary gender expression. However, the name itself begs a certain question. Should a gaze that strives to look beyond binary gender be gendered itself? And this was a point that I made just a minute ago of it's like, we're calling it female gaze, but it's really way more than that. It's really just anti-male gaze. And on that point, you talk about like, it's so frustrating. We have to have these gendered conversations, but it's things that are exactly like this, like these conversations that are evolving that are going to change the way that we talk about gender in the future. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like this is why these conversations are so important and so interesting to have because 
the more you talk about it, the more you realize that something that sounds inherently gendered, something that sounds inherently black and white is not black and white in the slightest, especially once these social media platforms that people are really utilizing to express themselves and like show their true, like their truest form in the simplest way to say it. It's so incredible, like how they can take a very simplistic sounding idea and make it so much bigger and really turn it into this movement that's so much farther beyond like a style of filming, which is what this idea really was created from of just like a discussion of use of male and female bodies and male and female viewpoints of directing and creating and casting films. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, I think one thing, like, hitting back on this is, like, the male gaze is inherently oppressive because it discourages female empowerment, it discourages advocacy, it discourages autonomy. It's like, you are this, and this is a sexual object. Like, you are the sexual object. But this is, like, the reverse of the male gaze is empowerment is doing whatever you want to do is not being confined to one single thing and this writer Avery also says highlighting physical expectations for non-men within the male gaze establishes our society's nature as a compulsively heterosexual one which I think really hits it on the head of the male gaze as I said at the beginning is the heterosexual male gaze and we don't even talk about that like it's just taken verbatim as it is like of assumed heterosexuality compulsive heterosexuality i think it's really interesting they they called that out specifically yeah 100% and also again we've mentioned a lot like music videos and how a lot of male artists have very male gazy music videos but i mean like when you think from the top of your head somebody like the weekend or drake or what have you Like, you don't automatically think that their music is for men, but when you look at a lot of their older music videos or visuals or whatever, it feels very masculine and very much like, "Mm, they they don't, maybe they don't want me around. But I think also, like, when you think of kind of male country stars, I think are maybe the only example of every aspect of them feels very male gazy, very like the expected of what men think women want, very what Republican women are interested in sort of situation, which is just kind of like dirty, strong, drinks beer, hangs out with his buddies, goes to Friday night football. Every masculine trope you can think of is going to be thrown on the wall and stick with these male country stars. And so I do think it's interesting when male musicians in every other genre, even in rap music and hip hop, your mind wouldn't initially jump to, oh, this is only for men. But then when you see their visuals, you're kind of like, maybe they don't like women. I do think there is an argument for hip hop though, because I think a lot of outsiders to hip hop would be like, like people who like naysayers of hip hop would be like, it's so sexual, it's so violent, blah, 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 blah. You know, like there are those conversations because certain hip hop like is very derogative. But I think especially now because we have so many more like female hip hop artists, like the connotation of it has changed. And that's not to say every male hip hop artist is like a bad person. Like not everyone's rapping about like derogatory sexual things. So I think like we're more aware that there are tropes beyond just that. But I feel like sexualization within hip hop is also like a big common theme too. 
Yeah, no, 100%. But I think also it's like when you're unaware of the a culture, sometimes you can assume the worst yeah. in situations. So I think it's like, again, something that's not as black and white as people try and make it seem like it is, which is always, I think, the common denominator of a lot of the conversations we've had lately of these things on the surface look and sound like a very black and white discussions. But when you get down to the meat of it, it's really not because there are so many levels to what these things can mean and how they can really change the conversation in the world of media, in the world of music. And if people really focus and understand that you can have your visuals and your imagery exists within the female gaze without it being gay or without it being inherent anti-masculine it's just really understanding like we keep saying that like the female gaze is in fact a spectrum it is in fact something that has layers to it and that men can exist within those layers if they just do it right and like have the right people on their teams that know how to utilize something that is I think very accessible to most people. Whereas I feel like the male gaze definitely makes women feel left out. Whereas I don't think the female gaze is out here making anybody uncomfortable. (laughs) That is true. But also what I'm getting from what you're saying is we need more feminine man hands to come to light. (laughs) That's what I'm hearing. (laughs) If you're marketing people, if you listen, if you work with musicians... Hands. We want them. (laughs) I need, listen, I just need Drake to like get to understand that his emotions come from his hands and just have less naked girls in his videos and more, more hands. (laughs) More clenched jaws and brooding looks. Yeah. Yeah, yo. (laughs) So... I feel like we've covered all of the bases when it comes to the female gaze that we possibly can today. But for you guys, what is your favorite part of the female gaze? Is it soft lighting? Is it (laughs) is it strong hands? Is it a knowing look in an interview between Tom Holland and Zendaya? Please let us know. (laughs) I am chomping at the bit to find out. Um, (laughs) Come hit us up on social media. As per usual, you can find us at Name3Songs on Instagram and Twitter, as well as TikTok. Or if you have any personal beef or you really liked anything we were saying, you can come chat with us personally. I am at Sarah underscore Fagan and Jenna is at Jenna underscore Million. So thanks for joining us this week on Name3Songs. Until next time, never let anyone make you feel bad about your favorite band. And remember, you're never too cool to admire some hands. And don't forget to subscribe to be notified when each episode comes out and leave us a five-star review or a comment if you're watching on YouTube. They really help. If you want to find out more about any of the sources we referenced in this episode, you can visit Name3Songs.com. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.